At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard, start something priceless. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday to hear news stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. Maria Tranbu knows that sugarcane straws are a sweet and sustainable alternative to plastic. She also knows they can create more jobs for farmers in Southeast Asia and Vietnam while challenging the status quo of single-use plastics. Marina is founder and CEO of Equo. Marina and Equo have been featured in Forbes and Shark Tank Vietnam, and in 2021, Equo was the first Canadian-Vietnamese startup to be admitted into Techstars Toronto. Marina, welcome to the show. Hi, Rick. Thank you so much for having me. We're delighted to, to have you and to talk about your success in the, in, in the sustainable straw business. There's a, a graphic on your website that I really loved, which said, says, it's just one straw. <laughs> Tell me what that means. Yeah, so um, really, like, um, it's kind of a play on, um, there's this, like, uh, notion around the world that, like, you know, one action doesn't really make a difference. So um, the complete kind of uh, sentence there is, like, it's just one straw, said 8 billion people. Um, and, you know, just yesterday, it was, like, the, the 8th billion person was born on the planet, and and that really just kind of uh, for us is uh, kind of the ethos for our brand, which is even though these are small solutions like a straw or a fork or a knife that we're producing, collectively, if a lot of people make a change in their behavior of what they use, it can have a really large impact. And in this case, it is on the plastic pollution problem. People replacing something that they normally use every single day that's plastic with something else that's not can have a huge impact on the environment. Right. Eight billion small steps will get you a long way. Exactly. <laughs> so you're a disruptive and innovative entrepreneur. I want to hear your story. But first, do you have any advice for fellow innovators and entrepreneurs and startups that are listening? Yeah, I would say probably my first uh, piece of advice is um, if your idea sounds crazy or people say it's crazy or it's weird or 
or it's undoable, you're probably going in the right direction because that means that people just don't think it's possible or someone hasn't uh, made it possible yet. So you are already an innovator just by thinking differently or doing something differently than people say. So um, keep going. <laughs> it's probably something that's really cool. Um, and the second thing is, um, you know, part of um, entrepreneurship or innovation is about having an idea. And then the other really big part of it is the perseverance to pursue that idea. So um, perseverance will get you really far, um, especially if you have an idea that you want to bring to fruition. So just just keep that in mind because every successful entrepreneur just basically kept on going no matter what. Right. The, the idea is a start, but the perseverance, that, that, that elbow yes. grease, that stick-to-itiveness, that's what's got to keep it going. But I, I just want to push back on, 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 on your, your first uh, tip there. I agree that sometimes the greatest innovations and you know, world-changing products and discoveries can come out of um, you know, entrepreneurs who think differently, starting with Steve Jobs, I guess, and moving on from there. Um, but what do you do if you really think that an entrepreneur that you know is going down the wrong path and, 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 and is pursuing the wrong thing? Because sometimes knowing when to stop is a very important entrepreneurial quality. So I don't want to give everybody permission to go and pursue totally crazy ideas that will likely never happen. So where do you think is the sliver of truth in, in, in between your position and mine? How do we know who to encourage and who to politely discourage? Yeah, I think um, the best answer there is that the market will tell you or your customers will tell you. Um, you're right that you know not every crazy idea is an idea worth pursuing, but that's really where we kind of get down the line of, okay, first you have to have a crazy idea to start, something that's different, and then once you pursue it, does it actually get the feedback that uh, you need? Um, not the feedback that you're looking for or hoping for, but the feedback that you need, which is, will enough people want to pay for this? Or will anyone pay for this? Um, so will anyone pay for it is first. And the second is, okay, now that people are willing to pay for it, is enough people going to pay for it that it makes sense? So, um, or enough people going to use it that will make sense? Um, so those are the questions that you'll have to answer at some point. So it's not just an idea, uh, makes you, you know, an entrepreneur or an innovator. An idea that people will use will make you an entrepreneur or an innovator and use on a large scale. Right. I yeah. think you threaded the needle just perfectly <laughs> here. Being aware of feedback, being open to feedback, and uh, making sure you get the feedback you need, mm -hmm. not necessarily the feedback you'd like. Exactly. <laughs> I love I love that distinction. That, 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 that's, that's very well said. It's no easy feat to try and get rid of single-use plastics. We've been trying to get this done for years now. Um, tell us about your mission and the products that you've created, the materials you're using to help achieve that mission. So uh, Equo um, itself is a sustainable brand that provides 100% plastic-free and compostable solutions for everyday single-use plastic items. 
Really, our mission is to make it as easy and convenient as possible to switch out single-use plastic items or sometimes paper items for more sustainable materials. Um, and we, we really emphasize the easy and convenient sort of solutions because we don't want anyone to change your lifestyle or your behavior in order to become more sustainable. You know, life is hard enough as it is. Um, and also, uh, we emphasize brand as well. And the reason why is because we want to be well-known. We want people to recognize us in these categories where really there's no brand that people can recall or remember or even trust to be, you know, a sustainable or to do what they say. And so that's something that we're trying to do that's different. Um, so what we do is we provide a number of different sustainable materials. Uh, we have... For example, in our drinking straw line, uh, products made out of grass, rice, coconut, sugarcane, and coffee. And we offer all these different materials so that people can explore and find out for themselves which material is best suited for their needs. And it sounds crazy, but people have different needs and different wants when it comes to something even as simple as a drinking straw. And so uh, that's what we're providing to the market. We've expanded out into forks, knives, spoons um, as well. And our goal is to replace anything that is single-use plastic that you use for you know, 15, 20 minutes or less on a daily basis. We want to replace all that um, because we know that that is a specific problem that is really big to try to solve. And so we think if we just focus on that, that will already make a big impact with what we're trying to do. Right. And... How did you develop this mission and what was what, what, what was the solution that you found? How did you find it? Yeah, um, so it kind of started when I first moved to Vietnam. So I moved to Vietnam about uh, three and a half years ago now. Um, you know, originally... And you're from where? You're from Canada, from Toronto? I am from Canada. I was born in Alberta, uh, raised ah. in Vancouver, and then spent my last eight years before I moved to Vietnam uh, in Toronto. Um, working as well. So I, I kind of lived all over <laughs> uh, most of Canada, you know, East Coast and West Coast. Um, but yeah, I, I moved over to Vietnam uh, three and a half years ago, um, which was, you know, very shocking, very different for me. Um, it was really for personal reasons. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, my father got sick um, and he was diagnosed with late stage lung cancer. And so I moved to Vietnam to try to help my family um, with some things during that time. So I left my corporate job, which was, you know, um, doing marketing, branding for um, different companies like Unilever, Bacardi, LG. Left that to come to Vietnam to help my family. And then basically just kind of fell into this space, you know. Um, I, when I first came to Vietnam, I didn't have any friends, so I went to a lot of cafes in Vietnam, which, you know, Vietnam is very well known for a lot of little cute cafes in like every kind of nook that you can think of. Um, and that's where I first encountered um, our very first product in our portfolio, which is the grass straw. And I just wondered, like, you know, why isn't this everywhere? Like, you know, this is genius. You know, it's a straw made of 100% natural materials, not like you even have to manufacture this. You just like dry a, a piece of straw and, and put it into your drink and it, it's a great alternative. And here we are over in kind of like the West, like thinking of alternatives to plastic, like, you know, silicone or metal straws or whatever else, just to solve this problem when there's a simple solution here. So that's really what started the journey. Wow. So I, I've never even thought about this, but when we talk about a plastic straw, a drinking straw, 
I guess the word itself tells us that it was just based on probably people in the country doing exactly that, <laughs> picking up a reed or a piece of grass or something and using it as a straw. Yeah, that those were actually the earliest kind of um, comings of the drinking straw. This sounds like a, you know, a weird history on straws, but like, you know, back in the day, people would work in kind of farms um, and, you know, it'd be hot outside and maybe they would break open like, you know, a drink or even like a coconut, like way, way, way back in the day as farmers. And they would just need something to drink it with. And they're like, you know what, let, let me take this piece of grass that's hollow or this piece of straw that's hollow and or a stick and stick in my drink and that kind of became the very first ancient like you know natural straw so the fact that we deviated away from that um it's kind of like okay it, it's nice that we're kind of going back to maybe our ancestral roots when it comes to straws absolutely that, that, that's fascinating and so that so you started with the drinking straw tell us a little bit about what it took to bring that to market yeah, it was, um, you know, it was a journey for sure because um, we actually started the business right before the, the pandemic. I launched in February of 2020. And then as we know, in March and April of that same year, global pandemic happened, everything shut down. But right before that, I had been doing research for a few months about the different alternative materials that were available out there. Um, and then I found a couple materials and I was like, you know what, I just want to try to launch them all and, and test to see which one works well. And so the first idea was to launch it onto Kickstarter. So I got the Kickstarter campaign um, started, got that page up and running, decided I want to try out the grass, rice, coconut, um, and sugarcane materials first, all in just straws, and get people to tell me which one they like the best. So we ran that campaign. And, and that fits exactly, sorry, sorry yeah. to interrupt, but that fits exactly with what you were saying earlier, which is, uh, you know, right at the top of the show, uh, you know, get a crazy idea and test it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So this was our small way of testing it. You know, it was very cost effective. I didn't have to like launch everything right away. I could just test it. And if we raised enough money or had enough interest on Kickstarter, I was like, okay, then I would pursue it. So um, we launched it onto Kickstarter um, in April. First three days, we sold $9,000 USD worth of straws. Which is ridiculous. Wow. Yeah, we're we're like nine thousand dollars, you know, in three days. This is this is crazy. We're gonna we're gonna do well. After those first three days, unfortunately, so that's a million bucks a year. He he calculated swiftly. Exactly. I was like, okay, and that, that's like you know a really good amount. Like you're you're talking For one yeah you're, yeah you're talking over thirty thousand dollars more than that. <laughs> you know, obviously, um, in just like you know like a week or two. So I was like, okay, you know, if I, if I average that out pretty well, you know, I think we can make a lot of money here. But then after the first three days, then the global pandemic, um, like the global shutdown happened where all the borders closed and they did oh, that man. announcement. So our campaign actually quickly fell off a cliff, um, rightfully so, because everyone was focused on something more, more dire and pressing, you know? Um, so that happened, but we ended up, um, even after that kind of uh, swift uh, fall off the cliff. Um, in 30 days, we raised um, $15,000. So even at $15,000, I was like, okay, this still seems viable, you know, and I was optimistic. Don't worry, the world's going to open up in the next two months. Obviously, that didn't happen, but that's why I kept going um, as long as I did for months and months after because I thought, you know, just like the rest of the world, that it would kind of be over. So that's how we got our start. Right. 
That's why optimism is a superpower for entrepreneurs. Oh, I guess so. Either optimism or like, you know, insanity. It's probably, probably one of them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and how did you get to having a whole portfolio of, of products now? Well, um, kind of fast forward, long story short, I thought, you know what, I can, I can still keep up this company, I'll still keep it going, I'll keep it alive, eventually things are going to open up, so delivered the products uh, to our customers, so we promised to deliver it in October, so we did our first production, so did that, and then by that time October came around, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm running out of money, <laughs> you know, because I, I thought it would only be a little bit of money. I thought we'd start to sell. We'd have customers right away. But because of the pandemic, things got delayed, production got delayed, all sorts of things happened. So from there, um, I started to learn about raising money um, and being a real startup. I didn't, I didn't think about, you know, a startup, um, about creating a startup when I first started. I just thought it would be a small business and it, I could go from there. So then I started to look at raising money and then with raising money and learning how to do that and getting into the, the real startup space, that's when I was able to start, um, you know, being able to fund building out a full portfolio of products. So it was a, a full journey over that, you know, next year and next two years after that to raise money, build up portfolio, learn how to enter the market, navigate COVID and all that at the same time. Right. And along the way, you had some help, I guess. You had some accelerators like Techstars. Yeah. Um, and uh, you've won a bunch of awards, and I think some of them probably came with some money. Is that how, 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 how you built up the first, uh, uh, the, the first inventory? Yeah, yeah. So after our initial um, kind of production run that we did just for Kickstarter, um, you know, again, uh, I really started to see that this was something that I wanted to pursue and I needed more money. I couldn't self-fund this whole thing myself. Um, so I talked to a friend of mine. He introduced me to Techstars. He also became a mentor of ours um, and one of our early angel investors. And then uh, the accelerator really kind of helped us craft everything from like, you know, what our story is to our business model to, you know, what our future plans would be and, uh, you know, how to build a um, a business plan. I already knew how to build one, but like really how to craft one for a startup and, and to scale. And so um, from there, I, re I learned to kind of really figure out how much money I needed. I went out, raised that money from a couple different VCs um, who really believed in our product, entered every pitch competition possible because I was learning about raising and financing and all this sort of stuff at the right. same time as I was trying to build my business. So I did all that. I pitched everywhere from Clubhouse. Um, that's how I actually pitched in front of Arlene Dickinson. Um, I actually pitched to her on Clubhouse. I, I pitched in every online competition that I could possible. Um, and that's how I, I learned um, about whether or not people liked my product, all the questions I would get, people challenging my business model, and then also how I got my investors too. Wow, wow. And now, when you were in Techstars Toronto, were you doing that in Toronto or were you doing it in Vietnam? Um, well, it was all online. So at the time, like um, we couldn't fly anywhere, like and no one could fly anywhere, you know, for like a good two years. And so basically um, I did that entire program online. It was, I believe it was like their first one they were running online and it was a little bit, 
you know, difficult, but at the same time, we had so much interaction online. It was actually great as a program. We had so much interaction online. We got to get exposed to people that we wouldn't otherwise get to meet in person um, because everyone was, you know, at home kind of doing nothing. Great. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so it actually um, became a really great program uh, for us learning wise, connecting wise. Um, and we became one of the closest, I guess, um, cohorts um, of theirs um, in terms of like the relationships that we built um, as well. Isn't that cool? So you're still staying in touch with, with, with other members of the cohort. Absolutely. We're staying in touch and we're all kind of rooting each other um, on from like, you know, the sidelines. And um, some of us have actually been able to meet in person. And so when we do, it's like a this dramatic, you know, sort of like, oh, my gosh, you know, it's, it's finally get to see you in person. You're a lot taller or, or whatever else in, in person. So it's really nice to still have that relationship even like a year later. So you raised 1.3 million us dollars that's pretty good for a first round yeah why did your what did your investors say about why they invested in you and equal yeah i mean i asked them this uh you know obviously at first and um you know consistently sometimes um, you know why did you invest in us in the beginning uh, i think the first thing is that um when people hear about you know esg and sustainability and they think about you know three years ago um, now it's obviously a very hot topic and everyone's talking about it, but about two and a half, three years ago, it was kind of new and it was like this very niche sort of, um, area. People thought it was just only for vegans or like people who are, you know, very, very like gung ho about the environment. Um, and so it was new and it was actually exciting space. Um, so I think that was kind of one thing that perked a lot of people's interest, but the thing that really kind of made it interesting was probably two things. Uh, first off was our approach to the category. Um, you know, I came from a marketing brand building background and what I was trying to do was basically go into this uh, category that was very unsexy, that was very commoditized. No one knew any brands. It was just, you know, it was an afterthought sort of category and to try to get people to care about it, to build a brand that's, you know, bright and colorful that I want people to remember that actually has brand equity was different. And so um, I think it's that approach and trying to go through multiple channels instead of just going wholesale and, and B2B like most uh, of the other companies have done, um, trying to do all that was different. So our full approach, our go-to-market strategy was completely different. The second thing is I think um, I was also a very unconventional sort of founder. You know, I didn't have that startup experience or that startup community. I did have the experience launching brands for products, um, you know, globally. But beyond that, I was a sole founder. I was a female founder, you know, um, and I wasn't an environmentalist at all. I just had no background. But it was just my desire and really um, my desire, you know, to build a better future for my nephew and the story and, um, you know, how I was trying to approach it that was very different that I thought, I think people were like, okay, this is interesting. And it can either go really well or it can go, you know, bust. But they were intrigued enough to, to um, invest. And so that's what I've been told. It was just too interesting to pass up. <laughs> <laughs> that's really interesting. And your background, you know, having worked with big brands, well, must be mm. pretty interesting. I've got to ask you, uh, Spin Master is one of my favorite Canadian companies. It's yes. the toy company that started with some bobblehead puppet made of grass or something. Grass yeah, yeah. The Earth Buddy, that was it. Yes. 
and you know now they're one of the big players in the international toy scene with and with incredible licensed products and their own you know entertainment animation line etc um you know i i i it's an iconic canadian company just wondering what you learned from them yeah i think from them but also from every other company that i worked in you know when i worked in brand management it was all about kind of like being a a mini CEO. You have to manage the PNL. You have to manage different teams like operations, creative. You know your finance team, um, and uh, on top of that, you're trying to launch a new brand or product into the market. Sometimes it's a sometimes it's a completely new brand. You have to do customer research. You have to work on the packaging. So working at Spin Master and all these other companies, I learned the skills basically to build a product and a brand from the ground up. From everything to looking at the legal, the legal kind of um, statements that you put on your packaging, to you know looking at UPC codes and case configurations and things like that. So I learned all that from them, which gave me a really great basis of knowledge to launch my own brand and product. Um, but I will say that you know what I did learn from them too was, you know. Um, it's great when you have a large company supporting you because your chances of failure are much lower. But when you're doing it on your own, you know it's it's a completely different ball game. So I did learn that from from that company too. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So so tell us what what is the status quo right now? What what does uh, Equal look like right now? How many employees do you have? How many product lines? Mm -hmm. What what are your key target markets? So as of today, we have uh, 13 employees. Um, you know, we kept the, the team very, very lean. I think probably for good reason, um, as we're kind of seeing, um, you know, a couple companies saying, like, you know, they've expanded too quickly. So we've kept pretty lean. Um, and our entire portfolio now, um, again, includes like drinking straws, utensils. We have plates, takeaway containers, stationary bags, um, you know, uh, gifting boxes and items. So we expanded to that. Um, and uh, while we were in four markets last year, Canada, US, Australia, and Vietnam, this year we've expanded to um, about 15 different markets. And so our, our plan is to expand beyond that, you know, um, hopefully next year, uh, potentially, uh, you know, uh, sorry, uh, well, this coming, these coming months, not even next year, but these coming months and this coming uh, year, just look to raise um, some more money in our next round of funding and then expand our business even further to try to get more customers and get more people to use our products. So All that's right. really the plan. Sounds like the flywheel is starting to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, scaling, product. scaling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fabulous. What's, what, what's, what's your best selling product? Um, as of right now, our best-selling product is our sugar cane straws. So I, I think people really like them because, you know, they're light in color. They're very flexible, so you can chew on them. They last a long time in water without um, or any sort of drink without kind of bending or getting soggy, which is so much better than those paper straws. Um, and uh, the material is actually quite flexible that you can use them for a number of different items. So as I mentioned, you know, takeaway containers, cups. Um, even forks or spoons made out of the same material. And so that one has been, um, you know, a real um, home run for us. Fabulous. And uh, in Canada, where could people buy or, or look at your products? 
So as of right now in Canada, you can buy it on Amazon or through our website, which is www.shopeqo.com. Um, we're a little bit um, kind of sold out of inventory at the moment, but you know we'll, we'll have that available um, hopefully very, very, very shortly. But uh, yeah, you can buy them online as of right now, and then we're hoping to get into some retailers and get some great partners on the ground soon um, in Canada. Right. Have you started talking to retailers? Or do you think that they are interested in your product? I'm thinking specifically of Canadian retailers because that's where so many entrepreneurs start. Yeah, we've definitely tried. Um, I will say right now, I think um, a lot of them are inundated, especially with you know COVID kind of um, going away um, slowly and whatnot, and things returning back to normal. I think um, they're kind of slowly um, being receptive to new products, but. Um, we haven't found anyone as of yet, but I'm hoping that will change in the next few months. <laughs> right, right. And what makes your product line stand out? Is it, the, 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 I, I think there's some pretty clever marketing going on. Is there is there other characteristics of your brand that are helping make you successful? Yeah, I would say the first thing is that we're very committed to uh, sustainability, but we're also very authentic and, and truthful about what we can do and can't do. Uh, for example, our um, pro our product line right now is fully home compostable instead of being, you know, industrial compostable. It doesn't contain any bioplastic or PLA or any of those kind of like recent sustainable buzzwords that don't really mean too much and aren't really sustainable. So they, they contain none of that. Um, so you can compost it and write in your backyard if you'd like. Um, that really makes us different than any other um, products on the market because most of the products on the market right now they will still have bioplastic. They still require you to bring it to an industrial facility in order to decompose it. So that makes us completely different from a sustainability aspect. Um, on the other aspect, you know, we're going to be the brightest one on the shelf. Uh, we're we're going to be beautiful and we're going to stand out in a category that you used to just ignore and walk right past or maybe just go to if you visit. We're, we're going to stand out. We're, you know, red, green, blue. We're colorful. We have cartoons. Um, we have very different kind of designs, European-ish designs, um, very graphic designs for our packaging too. And and we we do that on purpose. We want you to stop in the aisle and say, "Hey, what is this?" And you know, I'm going to notice it. Um, and then on top of that, you know, uh, we offer more materials um, as an option than any other brand in the market today um, globally. We offer five different five slash six different materials um, that you can choose from and you have the choice we're giving consumers a choice you know we're, we're not forcing you guys to just use plastic and paper which was historical in the category we're giving you a choice to do, go ahead and do that and so that really makes us different and so i think having that choice um, you know being a retail brand that people can search up and read about and learn about different materials and then um, you know our branding and investing in marketing and awareness and education really makes us stand out well, um, you know, I, I looked at uh, the website and I said that there is a sense of confidence and, 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 and style around mm -hmm. your brand. And, and that's something, frankly, that a lot of Canadian companies are slow to get into. And I'm just wondering, was there something in your background that, 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 that and maybe it was just all your professional experience, that allowed you to, you know, get there sooner and actually create a, an eye-catching brand? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, yeah, it had everything to do with my background. You know, 
um, building brands was something that I really truly believed in and it's because I you know I got to work on some amazing brands like Air Hogs you know or on Dove or on Grey Goose uh, vodka and all those are iconic brands people love them people know them they value them they choose them you know and I wanted that same thing for this brand I wanted people to choose actively a sustainable brand they that you know aligns with their values and making it stand out was just something that I thought made sense. You know, sometimes sustainability is not the number one thing that people think about. They're like, you know, I want really nice packaging or I want it to be, you know, I want this product to look this way. Um, and I think that's a reality that not many brands, um, you know, admit, right? For example, you know, if it's, uh, if it's a sustainable, you know, really great granola bar, right? But it tastes terrible people still aren't going to buy it, you know, it has to be, it has to taste good at the end of the day, it's got, there's got to be that factor. And so sustainability, I find always comes second, it comes second to design, it comes second to flavor, or taste or anything else. And I'm willing to admit that. And so I wanted it to appeal to everyone. So maybe if the, if the sustainability is not the first uh, priority, then it's going to be the quality of the product. If, if sustainability is not the first priority, then it might be design. And that's why I designed it the way uh, we did is just because I wanted to make sure that we can appeal to people no matter what their priorities were. Yeah, that that is a beautiful strategy that you just uh, 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 disclosed to us. Um, the idea that sustain we're all about sustainability, but it comes second to being a great product. And, and I, 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 th I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs that I've met have missed out on. So <laughs> I can yeah, I mean, point them to you from now on. <laughs> yeah, no, agreed. I mean, we don't want to be just sustainable just for being, just for the sake of being sustainable. You know, that, that's, uh, that doesn't um, create a long-term or um, like, you know, right. a, a lasting solution, right? We, we've got to appeal to different areas too. Absolutely. Can you tell us anything about what's next on your plate? Yeah, new markets, I, new new products, new product lines. Yeah, well, new markets definitely. You know, we're um, about to launch in Europe. Um, you know, on Amazon, which is great, um, and also just in the market with some um, distributor partners as well. Um, we're about to launch in Korea, um, and the plan is to continue to launch into different markets. We definitely want to get into Japan, Indonesia. Uh, we want to expand our footprint in Canada, in U.S. and the markets that we're currently in. So that's really a big part of the strategy. Um, we're expanding into um, cups, cup holders, um, you know, uh, anything that you basically use once and throw away, we're expanding into um, for uh, the coming months. Um, and then the idea too is hopefully you'll start to see us in your local retailers. So uh, we definitely want to go mass, um, not just kind of stay online, but we want to go mass into retailers, you know, hopefully um, you know, Whole Foods or, um, you know, uh, some of those brands that we, we love and know, Sobeys in Canada, uh, will hear this and, you know, maybe kind of give us a chance. <laughs> so um, that's who we're hoping to kind of get into. And then hopefully we can also see ourselves in some restaurant uh, chains as well. McDonald's, you know, Wendy's, maybe Tim Hortons, if you're listening, Tim Hortons would love for us to be in there too. Fabulous. Uh, this started sort of, uh, I think you said, as sort of as a sideline, you know, play around with some product. Is this, uh, it, it, is this now a business that you want to grow with for a long time? 
Uh, you know, I think um, it's a business I want to grow with as long as I see that there's growth potential, you know. Um, and, and I feel like that's a more realistic answer. I'm not going to stay with this forever just because, you know, I, I created it. But if I feel like we haven't solved the problem yet and I feel like there's more people that can discover it or there's more that we can do, then I'll stay with the company. And I feel like um, obviously the single-use plastic problem is not going to go away for a long time. So I, I do feel that there's longevity in, in sticking with this company. <laughs> it's only We're only, you know, two and a half years old. So I think we're still pretty young. <laughs> Yeah, well, congratulations on, on, on everything you've built and best of luck for the future as you move to take over the world. <laughs> Thank you so much. We're going to try to do our best and we're going to try to help reverse you know, some of the damage we've done to the planet. Right. Thank you very much. We've been talking with Marina Tran Vu, founder and CEO at Equo, and she's been talking to us from Vietnam. So that's a first for us on the Start of Canada podcast. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for staying so staying up so late to speak with us and, and all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence. <laughs>